Welcome to The Intuitive Customer, where we discuss how you can improve your customer experience and your bottom line by embracing behavioral economics. And now, here are your hosts, world-renowned thought leader on customer experience, Colin Shaw, and Professor Ryan Hamilton from Emory University. The impact in terms of where we need to move is rather than fixing broken things, how do we move beyond the trap of data saying this is broken, fix it, to how do we create experiences from inside the mind of the customer? That was always a deeply unsettling experience for me because I go into this hotel room, as Lou says, expecting it to be a sealed container of safety and walking into a, a room where the TV is on signals that somebody's already in the room. So the chair is actually really important. So the first thing I was always looking for is what type of chair do they have? Is it comfortable or is it one of these designer chairs that looks really good, but is bloody uncomfortable? So Ryan, really good news. I don't have many friends, you know that. <laughs> that is good news for everyone. <laughs> <laughs> it's not good news for Lou Carbone, who has joined us today. We have one of the survivors. <laughs> we do, yes. Colin has told me wonderful things about you, and as we've just established, he does not say wonderful things about very many people. <laughs> good point, well made. I'm flattered and blushing. <laughs> Welcome, Lou Carbone. Lou and I met probably at the beginning of my career in customer experience, or when I started off by myself, which was sort of 2002, we did a number of conferences together, spoke on stage at a number of different conferences over, over that period of time. Lou actually was into customer experience before me, which is really good. I think you started in the something like 1980s or something, didn't you, Lou? Uh, it was actually in the late 80s. Yeah, somewhere around 88 was the beginning. Yep, yep, the beginning. The good news is that uh, Lou has a wealth of experience. Lou and I having one of our regular just catch-ups and chats, and we said what we should do is to do a podcast based upon effectively where do we see customer experience going and is this behavioral science stuff that we talk about a lot on this podcast, you know, is that where the future lies. And given that we've both been in the industry for some years now, we thought that would be interesting to everybody. Lou, any more background you want to give on you? I mean, what's your shoe size and where do you live and stuff like that? Uh, I live in Minnesota, which I have no, no knowledge why I'm not living in a warmer climate. I was going to say, what's your snowshoe size? Then? Exactly. That really <laughs> don't question my uh, ability to make decisions. Hey, now, Minnesota is beautiful. It is beautiful, but we did have a client up there that we were talking to, and, and the guy was telling me about the fact that it was sort of like springtime, and he said that he's going to get a basketball board, whatever you call them. Tell I don't play basketball, don't you? Put in his drive. And he said that he had the guy around and the guy said, you can't put it in yet because the permafrost hasn't defrosted. And uh, <laughs> so they would have to chisel it out or something ridiculous. And I did think to myself, because I live in Florida, thinking, hmm, I wonder why people don't live in the hotter climate. But there you go. It's why we have to make the most of experiences when we can have them here. <laughs> <laughs> 
while the sun shines. <laughs> exactly. Talk to us a little bit about where you've come from and where you think customer experience is and this whole area that I know we both have an affinity to of behavioral science. You know, where where do you think we are as an industry now? Um, the, the, the listeners heard me pontificate over this topic many times, but as a senior person in the industry, where do you think we are and where do you think it's going? Colin, it is so powerful in terms of where we are at the moment. I think we're about to move from cars with gauges to driving Indy 500 style cars. And it's the fusion of art and science. And I think that the science has evolved over the years and more and more people are aware of the impact that we can have understanding unconscious thought and understanding how neuroscience and psychology have evolved over the last decade, we've amassed more knowledge than the entire history of those disciplines and how they apply to consumers. For me, the light bulb that went on many, many years ago was in work with Disney. It was during the construction of Epcot Center and hearing discussions about the temperature and the velocity of wind blowing in your face. And what people came to Disney for was to find out what they were doing, thinking of it as a best practice, and going back and saying, hey, let's call people guests. And the impact was minimal. But what Disney was, was a whole set of clues and signals that touch unconscious mind and that we process. It's the way that the brain works. It's how we take in information how we interpret it, and the filter through which we see it. And the greatest thing for me many, many years ago at the beginning of Dr. Jerry Zaltman's work at the Harvard Business School and my participation in the laboratory of the consumer mind that Jerry had set up at the Harvard Business School, we actually started out doing PET scans of people buying automobiles, the automobile buying experience, and looked at what parts of the brain were ignited. And the closest example was being chased and hunted. (laughs) Well, so those were, we looked at those areas that were oxygenated. And what we learned is that that's very invasive market research and hard to recruit for. And that's when Jerry's work and the work of Lakoff and others in the area of deep metaphor elicitation became part of our work, our methodology and application to experience and experience management. And the unconscious actually makes a decision before we actually articulate it or rationalize it and create an intellectual alibi for what happens in the limbic system of the brain, the primitive part of the brain. So understanding that as we go forward in terms of understanding experiences, designing experiences, and managing experiences, whether they're customer experiences or employee experiences, are are fundamental understandings that we can now tap and design to and create new tools and methodologies to create greater emotional engagement with 
customers. I totally agree, okay? And here's the trouble. Whenever you're doing an interview, they always tell you not to agree with everybody because it's much more interesting when you totally disagree. I'm not sure that's good advice, Colin. I have to disagree that, with you. Listen, mate, Ryan, this is why you and I do so well on this show, mate, because we just disagree with each other all the time. So, But here's my challenge. My challenge is we both sit here, and I exactly agree with you. The listeners will know that we talk about this stuff all the time. What I get surprised at, is how it's not adopted by many organizations. You would have thought when we started these conversations back in 2002 for us, for, for me, that was 18 years ago. <laughs> it's still not being adopted widely by organizations. It, it still feels to be quite cutting edge. I don't know about your thoughts. Yes, and uh, Colin, in fact, we have worked on several clients together and simultaneously, Royal Bank of Canada. Yep. And as you know, one of the things is when you bring new information to people, the big question is, well, what do I do with this? And I think the critical factor is that even organizations that are delving into the area don't realize that the need to not only do this, begin to understand that unconscious thought, but what's the depth of how I begin to apply this and how I begin to think about it and how it affects experience design, because it's a new paradigm. It's a new way of shifting. And people are much more comfortable with legacy systems. In Senge's book, where he talks about paradigm shifts and moving to the new paradigm, there's always pressure that pulls you back down to the legacy system and legacy thinking where I'm comfortable and safe. And uh, I think it's just a natural tendency. But what is so amazing is the exhilaration that comes in discovering this. I mean, I've watched people cry talking about eating nuts. (laughs) And it's like you begin to, they're like, I never thought I felt that way about eating nuts. (laughs) It's like... Wow, this is so powerful, like visiting a psychiatrist to really dig deep. And I think that what becomes so prevalent in the world is always the instant solution or let me skim the ice and not get too deep. And as we know, 95% of the processing in the brain, according to Kahneman and others, is actually below the surface. It's unconscious. So if we're only dealing with 5% on the surface and we're dealing with opinion, I would rather know how people think about something versus what they think. Because if I have that code, I can unlock helping them experience what they desire feeling Sure, that they don't even know they desire feeling. Lou, is there an example you'd like to to share that would highlight how you've helped organizations affect this? Yes, I'll I'll use two examples. I'll I'll use one that is quite simple uh, that I've used. Colin, you've you've seen it every time we've spoken together. And it's the example of the toilet paper triangle. And that unconsciously, the toilet paper triangle in a hotel room or, or wherever provides me with a sense of unconscious reassurance. And if it's missing, 
unconsciously, I'm wondering to some degree, the absence of that signal, that clue, and all of our work is built around clues uh, because that's how we process this information. I become a little uneasy and begin to wonder, was someone here before I got here? Did they forget to clean the room? And it's that unconscious processing. So in work with one of the hotel chains, they would repair the door locks when you double bolt the door. And you could tell that it was repaired. I mean, the job that was done was like, let's get this back together. And unconsciously, we learned that people thought the room, which unconsciously they think of as a container, metaphorically, in terms of being in a safe container. And this was a breach of the safety unconsciously in that container. So what we saw as we did the experience design is we need to actually make sure that it doesn't look like the lock or the bolt has been replaced, that it looks like it's never been compromised. And that creates a greater sense of security and reassurance. Because just thinking about it, I mean, that's a really good example. And just thinking about it, it, it's strange, isn't it, that when you go into a hotel room, not that I've been into a hotel room recently, with COVID, etc. I don't know what to do. I haven't been on a plane or... <laughs> no, tell me, what, what is this plane thing? I don't know. I, I used to see those in the sky. I don't know what they are anymore. Let Beyond Philosophy help you discover what your customers really want, not what they say they want, by uncovering the hidden drivers of value in your customer experience to create real ROI. Contact Beyond Philosophy by going to beyondphilosophy.com slash contact. That's beyondphilosophy.com slash contact. It's strange, isn't it, that when you're in that hotel room, and I guess this ties into sort of all space and territory and stuff like that, you feel like it's yours, don't you? And that nobody else should be coming in. So even if they've come and, mind you, having said that, I'm just about to argue against myself. These are the best types of podcasts when I just talk to myself. I was thinking of if you get somebody to come in and do some maintenance, Again, as opposed to somebody coming in and doing the turndown service. So somebody come in and just does some maintenance without you knowing about it. I would probably feel a little, why didn't they tell me that was going to happen? Whereas if someone comes in and does the turndown service, as long as they leave a chocolate on the pillow, it's more acceptable. So it's, it's interesting, again, it's that sort of whole territory thing, isn't it? Oh, definitely. In fact, in the hotel industry, there are some hotels that will put Inspector McGruff on your pillow at night rather than chocolates and a comment card. And uh, what I've always maintained is uh, this warning, which is lock up your valuables, et cetera, et cetera, versus the room service order for the morning. That's a hell of a lot more reassuring than you might burn to a crisp or make sure everything is locked up because they're willing to bet that you'll be alive in the morning. I mean, that's a hell of a lot more reassuring. So these signals and clues that we process unconsciously really formulate how we feel about something and how we think about something. And what we seem to be moving from, hopefully, and what we've been advocating for decades, is moving from not just the opinion about what is my opinion, 
But how do I think about that room, that container? Even with staff, the staff, we worked out how a room is cleaned most efficiently, et cetera, et cetera, in terms of employee experience. But the last thing that a person who has cleaned the room, and I actually cleaned rooms. Uh, I had never cleaned a toilet before in my life. No one could believe that. But uh, we actually cleaned rooms and then developed a system. And the last step is for the housekeeper to step out and basically say, is this room guest ready? Right. All the clues in place. And We usually have routines that we go through, rituals. Some people will turn on a TV immediately. And it's not really to feel that I'm going to watch TV, but it's a feeling of connection and connection outside of that container or making it feel more like I'm embraced by this room. And there's a a letdown moment. Same thing with air travel, with uh, sitting in in a seat. There's a nesting process that goes on unconsciously. And there's that moment where we go, "Ah, now I'm ready. I'm ready to take off. All my things are in place. And you let the pilot take off. Understanding those things and working those things and designing those and having systems around them and dealing with these behavioral aspects that take place unconsciously is the future of experience management. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And I, I always remember, and I think I've told you this, Ryan, back in the days when you travel, pre-COVID. It just seems so long ago now. We were riding horses before that, right? <laughs> we were, yeah, we were. The key thing for me when I stayed in a hotel was actually the chair. Because invariably, you go into a hotel room, and I'm a Billy No-Mates and so I, I don't bother going down to the restaurant. I'll have um, some food sent up to the room. And I don't want to lay on the bed because I'll just fall asleep. So the chair is actually really important. So the first thing I was always looking for is what type of chair do they have? Yeah, Is it comfortable or is it one of these designer chairs that looks really good but is bloody uncomfortable, basically? All those little things are really, really become important to people. And I guess the issue becomes two things, as as you were talking, that's making me think about is how you discover those. Part of that is research and trial and error, et cetera. But the other thing that I was thinking of was in the digital experience, which clearly is the way that many things are going now, the danger is, is, There is so much information because you can measure everything. The danger for me is that people aren't trained, appreciate, understand, whatever word you want to use, the behavioral science aspect, and they misinterpret or don't see the the underlying behavior that has caused the customer to do something. Does Does that make sense? Yeah. You've got the data but you don't know, you haven't got the skills to interpret the data. It's what's under the data. It's the depth of what's below the data. Yeah. I think that people will look at data and it's fixing broken things. And the impact in terms of where we need to move is rather than fixing broken things, how do we move beyond that and beyond the trap of data saying, this is broken, fix it, to how do we create experiences 
from inside the mind of the customer that take those things into consideration, especially during this period, as you talk about chairs in hotel rooms. During COVID, this is so critical in terms of the signals and clues that we unconsciously process. I recently stayed at the American, I think it's called the American Club in Kohler, Wisconsin. And the room had a seal on it. And you break the seal going into the room. All right, interesting. Someone met you at the door and opened the door so you didn't have to touch the door handle. You checked at the desk, and then they run to the elevator, not only push the button for the elevator, but push the button for the floor you're going to. Right, wow. And you get this feeling that someone is caring about me. And I think in COVID, designing these experiences that touch the unconscious is so critical. And that it's happening in what I would call adaptive impulsivity. (laughs) And that is that we're improvising rather than designing during this particular period of time. And I think intentional design is so critical in experience management. Understanding in depth, intentional design, and then the implementation, the actual how do we do this becomes so critical. And it's an integrated system. And you and I have been great proponents of the integrated system. And I think that's what was so beautiful about our work at RBC is that we looked at not only what can we learn, how do we figure out what that emotional end frame is, but how do we make it a reality? And our fusion of our work there was the beginning of the totality of the experience and having an organization understand that the ultimate value they create is the experiential value that they create and that that experience can be managed uh, in a way that creates an emotional response. Everyone would love to be an Apple and yet go into an Apple store and just the rounded corners, you know what is Apple and what is not Apple by these signals and clues. And what becomes so powerful is you make irrational decisions. I never wanted an iPad. And when they first came out, I told my wife this was the dumbest thing that anyone could buy. I've got a phone. I've got a computer. What the hell do I need this for? I go to Best Buy, and I, uh, which is a retailer here in the States. I end up picking up the iPad, and I'm like, oh, my God, this is incredible. I need this. Yeah. I create this, oh, geez, it's $800. Oh, I've got $89 in bonus points. <laughs> I create an intellectual alibi and walk out with an iPad and come home and my wife says, what did you do? And I'm like, oh, it's incredible. And she said, you said it was the dumbest thing. <laughs> I said, yeah, but I had $89 in bonus points. And she said, but it's an $800 expense. So we are irrational and and we are motivated by those things that make us feel good. And that made me feel more part of the Apple technology changing world, the need to have things with me that connect me to data and information that I need. So, Ryan, 
from a sort of an academic standpoint, what insight would you give into what we're talking about here in terms of this unconscious part? We talk a lot on the podcast about heuristics, these these decision shortcuts. We talk a lot about the importance of small things. And I think Lou's doing a great job of illustrating why those things are so important. The way that our subconscious processes information and, and makes decisions is different from the rational processes that we have access to. And it does rely a lot on these shortcuts and these symbols and these signals. And so if you want to somebody to feel comfortable, then a lot of these small things are what is being processed at the non-conscious level to give people that sense of comfort. Not to beat the, the hotel room example to death, but I think it's a great one. I've checked into hotel rooms before where the hotel's policy is to have the TV on and running as you enter the room. And a lot of times it's playing some kind of promotional materials or telling you about the hotel. But, and it wasn't until Lou was speaking about this just now that I was able to put my finger on it. That was always a deeply unsettling experience for me because I go into this hotel room, as Lou says, expecting it to be a, you know, a sealed container of safety and walking into a, a room where the TV is on signals that somebody's already in the room. And so this decision that was made rationally by the hotel management to better acquaint guests with all the amenities in the hotel may have been sending these unconscious signals that the hotel room is less secure and is not as safe a place as you might otherwise make. And a purely rational analysis is not going to get you there. To lose point, you need to understand the, the underlying motivations, these desires that people have and play to those. Let's do our usual bit. Interesting stuff, but so what? What are the practical things that people need to consider taking away from this conversation? I think that the most critical factor is understanding exactly where you are on this continuum of increased knowledge and sophistication in experience management. There are five absolutes that we talk about in moving from what we call experience 1.0 to 2.0. And these five absolutes are, number one, experiences are not linear. Traditionally, we look at it as a process. And experiences, especially now that we're living in the world of what I call virtuality, which is the fusion of how do you make technology more human as we are now watching what we're all doing through COVID periods, we're entering a whole new era. And the opportunity is so great to begin to apply these new thoughts and move beyond this improvisational bridge that we're in to understanding these experiences more deeply than we've ever understood them before, applying new tools and techniques to understand what is the impact of participating in a Zoom call? Do we feel more siloed because we're all in individual boxes with borders? Is an artificial background something that creates a lack of reality and disconnection or trust? I think there are a whole bunch of things that we need to begin to look at and begin to feel comfortable utilizing new tools and begin to investigate those. 
that we need to move beyond defect elimination and do self-examination. Am I in the world of defect elimination or am I in the world of experience creation? There's a difference between the two. No, good point. And I think that's one of the first things people have to ask themselves. And then I think the next thing is to begin to investigate deeper knowledge in the way that the future wave of what experience management will be all about. Ryan, your thoughts, advice? For me, I think getting down to understanding your customer's base level drivers, their motivations. Talked about examples of, of people wanting to feel safe and secure or cared for. And once you understand the level of motivation at that even kind of non-conscious level, the world starts to open up to you in terms of, of what you can do creatively to facilitate that. If you are at this problem-solving mode that we referenced, then your solutions are going to be much more tactical and much more narrow. But if, if you can look to, all right, what is it that people really need out of this experience? All right, well, what are the symbols and signals that we can give them that will facilitate that need? Then I think that you can really start to get more robust. Exactly, Ryan. I think that people do need to go back and look at signals, understand the power of those signals. Mm -hmm. And I also think that people need to understand that you cannot ask someone, our experience and research over the years is I cannot say, what do you want to feel in a hotel room? But you have to wander through the maze of their mind and leave it as an open question and let them take you where you go. And the difficulty with surveys is if I say something like, is convenience important? Right, right. I have now primed you to think about that. So the whole idea of getting inside the mind and, and those five absolutes are really moving from the world of making and selling to sensing and responding, thinking customer back about emotional and rational bonds. And then understanding and leveraging the role of unconscious thought, becoming clue conscious, what we call clue consciousness, which is what are the symbols and signals in language, in physical space and gestures, everything. And then how do I develop a rigorous system that manages clues and creates a culture that is clue conscious? Well put. Yeah, no, that's, that's really good. Really good summary, Lou. I think the only thing I would add to this conversation is post-COVID, I mean, the world's just changed, doesn't it? Whereas before we could experiment with things, et cetera, et cetera, we've moved ahead of that now so rapidly. And I don't think people have necessarily grasped that. And I don't think people have grasped what the new world is going to look like post-COVID. So once we've sat down at the doctors and all had the injections or not had the injections, the vaccines, what is the world going to look like? What we do know is it's going to be a darn sight different to what it was at the beginning getting under the skin of what that means and getting under the skin of what the in lose language the clues of those things should be i think is really important so lou if people want to get hold of you how do they do that very simply they would contact me at info info at experience or expeng.com or lcarbone at expeng.com. And experience engineering is our approach to experience management and uh, that you can actually engineer experiences. So the expeng stands for experience engineering. 
Wonderful. Good. And if if people haven't read Lou's book, Clued In, it's a really good book. And if you also get a chance to listen to Lou speak or get him to speak at your place, then he's a really good speaker. I know because I've listened to him many times. Colin, we also have some academic articles that are available. Len Berry and I have published and uh, Kathy Latour from Cornell. So we have a number of academic papers. I've spent a lot of time I've actually been referred to at Cornell as an academic practitioner, but we spent a lot of time doing a lot of work in academia and publishing papers, and I'd be happy to make those available. Great. Brilliant. Excellent. Okay. Well, thanks very much, everyone, for tuning in this week, and we look forward to talking to you next week. Thanks very much. Cheers. This has been The Intuitive Customer with Colin Shaw and Professor Ryan Hamilton. But it doesn't end here. Just go to beyondphilosophy.com slash podcast to find all of our shows, access free tools and resources, and subscribe, won't you? That way you'll never miss a show. That's beyondphilosophy.com slash podcast. And we'll talk with you next time on The Intuitive Customer.